0: That and I promise you it will be worth it um, as we as I go along. So last week we began to talk about you know examining the wonderful person of the Holy Spirit, um, who is also known as the comforter. And then we we saw how that, you know, toward the end of Jesus' life, he began to talk more and more about this this person, this Holy Spirit. And we spent a lot of time in John chapter 14, verse 12. From verse 12 to to 19, you know, we'll continue in the same guise today. Um, So let's open there quickly. You have a Bible, John chapter 14, verse 12. Um, So it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Praise God. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. So he's establishing that he's going to the Father, he's going somewhere, he's going to die, praise God. Then he continues, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because he sees him not, neither knows him, But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see see me, because I live, you shall live also. Praise God. You know, so as I said last week, now this will just be a quick recap. Before I continue with, you know, um, today. I said last week, this was towards the end of his life, amen. Now there's something about um, when people are close to their deaths, they, you know, when when they begin to speak, they they usually say the most important things. You know, just imagine someone is on their deathbed; they are not likely to be joking or just being frivolous. Even if if they are doing that, it's for a, a purpose. You know, they start saying the most important things. They start saying, you know, for example my company that I've spent 30 years building, you know, keep it well, let's continue the legacy, my children, love each other, your wife, love your. you know, all these things. They start saying very important things, the things that are most closest to their hearts. And this is quite similar to um, Jesus's emphasis here, you know, he was close to, he knew that his death was imminent so he was telling them, I'm leaving but I'm going to send someone. Now, as we read the the, the, the passage, he said something, you know, that another helper is coming, you know, and the reason he said another helper is because he was the first helper, amen. But because his death was imminent, he was planning to send another one, you know, one who would abide with them forever, praise God. And then we discovered last week that the word another there is the translation from the Greek word, alos, you know, a word that means another of the same kind, meaning Jesus was essentially promising another, a helper that was of the same caliber as himself, so that they won't even feel like they've lost anything. Praise God. So it was encouraging them, you know, in preparation for his death. It was saying, guys, I know you're probably worried I'm going and all that, but don't worry, I'm sending someone just like me, another that's just like me, the allos Paracletos. Praise the Lord. Um, You know, and then we began to look a bit more closely at the coming comforter. You know, what is he about? What is his nature? You know, for example, in verse 17, he expanded on this comforter. He said, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither know him. Praise God. So he was saying right from the get-go that this spirit that is coming is not for just everyone. (laughs) It's for the, the, the few. Praise the Lord. Now we know that it's for those who are saved, those who received Him. So it's not for everyone. It says, "Whom the world cannot receive, you know, because they don't see Him, neither know Him." Praise the Lord. He's in a different stratosphere to them. They can't relate to the Spirit that's coming. Praise the Lord. You know. So that's the first thing we realize, you know. But then Jesus said something very, most surprising to the disciples, and we looked at this last week. He says, "But you know Him." Praise the Lord. You know, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You know, and this statement is very surprising because he's saying, on the same breath, he's saying, I'm sending the Comforter, and he's also saying, you know him already because he dwells with you. Amen. And if you were were here last week, you should now understand that the reason he said that, that they already know this Comforter, you know, and that the Comforter already dwelled with them is because the Comforter was already experienced by them indirectly. Why? Because the comforter already dwelt in Jesus. Amen. You know, the comforter already abode on Jesus, you know, helping him to do ministry, helping him to do the things he did. You know, so because of that, they indirectly knew the comforter already. Amen. So it's like being um, John Wesley's personal assistant, PA, in the early 1700s. You know, and you followed him around as he did things. And there are people like that today who, you know, they just follow the, the personal assistants of some men of God who have done great exploits. You know, by the end, I do, I, you know, they usually have a lot of stories to tell. Even if they're not the one who were the recipients of the, that strong anointing, that, those strong exploits, they, they do usually have seen a lot. Amen. So if you are that kind of John Wesley's assistant, John Wesley can say, you, you, you've witnessed the powerful moves of the Holy Spirit. You know it because you've seen it in my life, something like that, amen. You know, if it's still not clear, I'll suggest you listen to last week's uh, message again. So they knew the Spirit indirectly because Jesus was anointed with the Spirit, you know, and that's the one who aided Jesus in doing all that, all that he did. The comforter was already dwelling in Jesus, and that's why they knew him. You know, and we see proof of that in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, where it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, you know, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So it was the Holy Ghost that actually helped Jesus in his humanity to do many of the things he did. You know, he helped him, he aided him, strengthened him, you know, to do ministry. You know, he sent him to the, to the wilderness to be tempted. You know, then he came back in the power of the Spirit and began to do expertise. The Holy Spirit, amen. So the Holy Spirit helped Jesus. So he's saying, this comfort that I'm sending, you already indirectly know him. Amen. But as if that was not enough, Jesus now went on to drop another bombshell for the disciples. He says, I know you've indirectly known know the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know you know you've experienced the Holy Spirit through me indirectly but you know what much more than that I'm going to make sure that you can know him in the most intimate way possible this Holy Spirit is going to dwell inside of you praise the Lord you know so it was a bombshell I'm sure it was a bombshell to the disciples and that's why if you move forward a few chapters you know to John's chapter 16 you see where Jesus continues to encourage them, saying, almost like saying, this is not going to be an, a downgrade. In fact, in some ways, it's going to be an upgrade. Amen. You know, in John chapter 16, verse 7, for example, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He says, it is expedient. That is, it is necessary. You know, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So he's saying, it's even better for you that I go and I send this comforter. Praise God. Now, he didn't specify why, but one of the reasons is because Jesus is not omnipresent. You know, Jesus had to be in one place at a time, but the comforter can be in everyone. You know, so he's saying, it's an advantage. It's not, don't worry, don't worry, I can go, but Son is coming. Son as capable as I am. Praise the Lord. You know, so he kept on encouraging them. He was saying that the comforter, you know, This man, the one that's coming, this comforter that's coming is a big deal. You know, for example, in verse 12, you know, just in explaining how capable the comforter is, let's read John chapter 16 from verse 12 to verse 15. It says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all the truth. Praise God. Then he goes on to say, For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Praise the Lord. So was telling them that this comforter is capable. In fact, there's some things I want to tell you now that I cannot even tell you because you are not ready, but when the Comforter is come, he will guide you to all truth. Praise God. You know, so Jesus was working hard to reassure them, oh, the Comforter is coming. Don't worry. You know, and this one will stay with you forever. He will dwell inside of you. You know, he will dwell inside of you. Don't worry. But the truth is that What Jesus was actually promising his disciples is something unprecedented. You know, he was promising them something shocking and almost unthinkable that I don't even think that the disciples understood. You know, because what he was saying is that for the first time in history, a man would host the Holy Ghost. You know, that a man would become the abode of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. You know, (laughs) now, as I'm saying this, it's very possible that it doesn't sound like a big deal to you, you know, because it's something we've heard over and over again. Oh, you know, the the Holy Ghost is inside of you and all that. So we've become desensitized. You know, we've been over-Christianized to coin a term, you know, but I tell you that when Jesus said that the Holy Ghost will dwell inside of them, let me explain how that would have sounded to the disciples you know first of all don't forget that the Holy Spirit is God himself you know he's not a lower God he's God himself amen he is the third member of the Godhead you know so that's the person that Jesus is saying he would dwell inside of you you know he's the one that in the beginning he was with the Father and the Word he's the one that brooded upon the face of the waters to who but who before anything was ever created anything that is known he was the one, you know, he's, he's the one that along with the Father and the Word said, let us make man, that's Elohim, you know, that's plural, you don't say let us if you are just one person, it was one of the three people, persons of the Godhead, it was one of those that, you know, they just had a, a conference, oh, let us make man in our own image, praise the Lord, so he's, he's God, a full third of the Godhead, you know. Some people meet some kinds of people, some calibers of people. Let's imagine you met the president of Kenya or the president of Switzerland or something. And so people meet people like and they start trembling, you know, or you meet a famous football star or a famous poster star or something, and you are just like trembling. Or you meet Michael Jackson or someone, and just are just shaking. You know, how much more God? Amen, this is the person that Jesus is promising will come inside of these disciples. Praise the Lord. Now also don't forget that the Jews, the disciples were Jews, you know. So hearing that God will dwell inside of them was actually a scary thing. One of the most scary things possible. In fact, much more than that, to say it simply, it's a death sentence. That's how they would have heard it. Because God cannot dwell in a man so to speak. You know, these are people, these are the Jews. The average Jew had a very, very strong fear of God in those days. They didn't joke with God. You know, they didn't joke with God. Amen. You know, if you read Isaiah chapter 6, for example, you see a, prof, a vision of prophet Isaiah. This is a vision. Amen. He had a vision. Now, now don't forget that Isaiah was a spokesperson for, for, for God. But well, Isaiah had a vision, and he saw, he dared to see God in the vision. You know, he didn't just see God, he saw the rope. He saw God sitting on the throne, and his robe, you know, filling the temple. Amen. Now, this is a whole prophet, and the Bible says, when Isaiah saw this, he was so filled with fear and trepidation that he wanted to die. Amen. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. You know, I'm a, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, which has especially seen many things. Such a, an angel, a seraphim, up to come with uh, a coal, and you know, cleanse him and say, oh, you're clean now, and all that. You know, because he saw God. And throughout this Old Testament, you see that people didn't play with God. Amen. You know, because when human beings fall into humanity, contacts divinity, you know, you, you almost always want to die. Amen. You know, Bible says in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, it says of God. it says,
1: who alone
0: is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Praise the Lord. So that's God. Let's be forget, just to remind us, you know, He dwells in unapproachable You, can, you can't go near that kind of light. You know, so people had a great reverence for the presence of God. You know, God was a terrifying subject. And it is. Praise the Lord. You know, no one joked with that subject. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, you know, because the high priest had to do some atonement every year. So for that reason, they had to have some some degree of contact with God. Amen. You know, so whenever the high priest had to go into the most holy place, um, you know, the temples then, you know, had the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place, and all that. Whenever the, the, the priest had to go every year for the atonement, to sacrifice for the sins of Israel, he did it knowing, that, the high priest did it knowing that there is a chance he would die in that encounter. Because the holy place is where a part of The presence of God is, God was not really in the holy place. If you read the parts in Acts, it says, God doesn't dwell in temples built with human hands, but it was just an avenue, for, like a part of his presence to be there for that occasion. But though he was going to that most holy place, he did that knowing he could die. And some of the priests died. Amen. And what they did is that another priest, you know, they'll tie a, a rope to the ankle of the high priest's leg. And another priest would be outside the holy place, you know, in the most holy place, with the other end of the rope. And the reason they, they did that was that if the high priest died from the presence of God, they can pull him out without them risking going there themselves to go and die. You know, they'll just pull him out. And how they didn't know that the high priest may have died, they tied, they had bells, you know, tied to the, to like the, the, the robe of the high priest. So as it's moving around, as they're hearing the jingling, you know, oh, the high priest is alive. Once they hear, they don't hear anything for five minutes, ten minutes, one hour. Ah, I think the high priest has died. Though. Let's pull him out. You know, that kind of thing. Because the high priest could die. There was a chance he could. That is the presence of God. Praise the Lord. You know, so that was a real risk of death. You know, that's the first thing People feel, think when they contact God God directly, even happened to Saul who became Paul, when the light shone on him on his way to Damascus, he said, who are you, Lord? It was, his spirit left him. Like, ah, because there's an unapproachable light. Same with Moses, when he came back from the Mount, if you remember the story. The Bible says his face was in the backside of God, but his face was so much filled with glory that people could not even look at Moses' face. They said, cover your face. You know, because it makes people want to kill themselves, makes people want to die. It's because you know you're not supposed to be there. That is the God we're talking about. So it's serious business. So when Jesus was saying that the Holy Spirit will dwell in them, I can imagine that the the disciples were thinking to themselves, Jesus, are you you sure of all these things you're saying? Are you okay? You know, I can imagine they were thinking, because they don't remember all those stories. I'm sure you remember the story of Uzzah, you know, the story of the, the one who tried to, to steady the ark because the ark was trembling and almost falling and he died immediately. Praise the Lord. So there was a great fear of God because man knew just naturally that there was no direct pathway to God. There was no access to God that could be considered remotely safe for man. Man was just too sinful, too unholy to be in contact with a God like that. Praise the Lord. Especially in his God form. You know, the only reason Jesus was, they were able to be around Jesus was because God became a man. You know. But you can't be in contact with God in his God form. It's impossible. You will die. Praise the Lord. You know. So after Jesus was saying, telling them all these things, telling them about his death and promising them another Comforter. You know, you can tell that the disciples didn't really understand. You know, how do I know, if you, if you go to John chapter 16, for example, verse 17, the Bible says, then some of the disciples said amongst themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and, and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this I he says? A little while, we do not know, we do not know what he's saying. You know, that's John 16, verse 17 to 18, the NKJV. You know, so they were probably whispering amongst themselves, like, what is this man talking about? About the comforter will come and live within us. What was that? You know, but shortly after that, you know, you know, shortly after that, Jesus, Christ was arrested, Jesus was arrested, he, he was killed on the cross, and he died. And something remarkable happened. You know, something that meets Jesus' promises possible. You know, if you read um, uh, in the Gospels' accounts, the Bible says shortly after his death that the veil at the temple of Jerusalem tore from top to bottom. You know, that's the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Now, what this means, you know, is just a symbol. It symbolizes that at that point, because of the sacrifice of Christ's death, mankind now had access to the Holy of Holies. Meaning, mankind now had access to God. Praise the Lord. So it's actually God's, um, Christ's death that made that way, that made that access, it made a way for us to actually approach God. So what was previously unthinkable was now becoming reality. Amen. You know, Paul says it very well in his Epistles to Ephesians. That God and man can now reconcile again. Praise the Lord. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, you know, speaking about us in the past, before we were saved, it says that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. That was our state. Having no hope and without God in this world. But now, you know, but now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes afar off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. What does dying mean? He has made us near, he has made us close. Praise the Lord. For he is our, he is our peace, who has made both one. Praise the Lord. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Amen. So through his death, he tore that veil and he broke down the middle wall of partition. So man and God could not have a pact again. Amen. So Jesus, through the sacrifice, you know, reconciled man and God, you know, broke down that wall, tore that veil, you know, and that is the only reason that man could successfully hold, host, host the Spirit of God. Amen. You know, that's the reason you, your spirit can be man, and the man will not burn immediately,
1: instantly. Praise the Lord. That's the only reason. I I want to know the truth. You know, that degree of
0: closeness, you know, that degree of reconciliation, that closeness between God and man is actually what God always wanted. Amen. You know, it took God a long time but he finally got what he wanted actually you know because that's what he always wanted that man can be close be close to me you know if you look at genesis 1 for example you see the story of you know the creation of man the bible says in genesis 1 chapter 20 uh, chapter 1 verse twenty-six. it says and god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the power of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Amen. Now, the question I have for you is why, why did he do that? Why did he create man? Did he need, you know, you just think about it, why did he have to create man? Did he need someone to be his gate man, you know, gate man of heaven, or someone to cook his food? You know, because God was okay as he was. You know, the Bible says he is the all-sufficient One. So why did he make us? Why did he create us in the beginning? He owns everything. He can do and undo. And the Bible says in Job chapter 41 verse 11, he says, who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. He is sufficient. Psalm 15 verse 10 it says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and all the wild beasts of the field and mine. Praise the Lord. So what was the purpose of creating man? Why, why did he create man? He created man as a preference. Why? Because he just wanted a bigger family. You know, the same reason we have children. You know, some of us, you know, some people are like, okay, financially stable, they have everything. We just want children, you just want someone to love. And that's why he created man. He wanted more objects of his love and affection. He wanted fellowship. Praise the Lord. And he wanted a fe- the kind of fellowship that would not be coerced. He didn't want robots. He wanted you know, just the real love. Praise the Lord. So he wanted some, an object of love. If you look at John chapter 17, verse 24. John chapter 17, verse 24. I read from the message. 24 to verse 26. You know, so this was Jesus praying. He says, Father, I want those you gave me. I'm reading for the, from the message translation now. this says, Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right here where I am so that they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. So before he ever created anything, God and, his, <laughs> and the Father and the Spirit were all just in in love, you know, there's a word for, it. it's called the word pericoresis. They were just, you know, almost like a dance. They were, they were just like, you know, together, just, you know, in communion with themselves. There was love amongst them, you know. So it says, so that they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. So why did you have to create man? You now see the reasons, um, so let me continue. With it. it says, righteous father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And these disciples, these disciples know that you have sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them. You, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known, so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. Praise the Lord. You know, shortly before that, you know, it says, neither, verse 20 to 23, He says, neither pray I for this alone, but for those for them also which have been believing me through their word, that they may, uh, all may be as one, as thou father art in me, and I am thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou givest me, I hope I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou has sent me and has loved them as thou has loved me. Praise the Lord. So God wanted just more affection, uh, more, more, you know, more, more people to love. He already had this love amongst himself. like just, just wanted a bigger family. So he wanted that expansion and spread. He wanted fellowship. He wanted people to love and to, you know, to just live freely. You know, and that's why he created man. And in the beginning, it was exactly like that. You know, you read about in Genesis, the Bible says God was walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, trying to chat with Adam and Eve, you know, trying to converse with them, trying to fellowship with them, trying to talk to them. At that point, because they had not sinned, there was no barrier, praise the Lord. They were still spotless. But we know what happened, you know, Adam sinned and he became unholy. And the presence of God became, (laughs) in fact, the first thing they did, they had to sow fig leaves because they saw that they were ashamed. They they needed to block themselves from the glory because they they just, for the first time, they felt shame. Amen. You know, so that's what God always wanted. He wanted a relationship, he wanted an expansion of his family. He wanted more recipients of his love, you know. But Adam and Eve spoiled that by uh, sinning. But God did not give up. Even though it wasn't directly possible anymore, you know, as early as in Exodus. know, if we read Exodus chapter 29, for example, verse 45 to 46, it says, was then talking through Moses and I will dwell amongst the sons of Israel. So he was still trying, even though it wasn't the real presence, just, you know, just part of his presence in the the ark and in the temple. You know, he says, I will dwell amongst them and I will be their God, praise the Lord. You know, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell amongst them. I am the Lord their God. Praise the Lord. So that was his desire. He kept on trying. In Exodus chapter 25 verse 8, He says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. He wanted to dwell amongst man. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 3, you know, this is speaking about the, the new heavens and the new earth. He says, and I heard a great voice. Now, this is the vision of John. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Praise the Lord. So when the Spirit came inside the host, that was a breakthrough moment. Praise the Lord. He came in to help us. You know, for the first time, you know, we had God on our inside, and weren't able, to weren't burning as a result. You know, that's why he came. So if he's truly inside of you, I want you to take some time to talk to him now. Because he's there. Right inside of you if you're saved. You know, I want you to commune with him. You know, you can speak to him about your troubles, your heartaches, you know. And I want you to incline your ears to listen to his feedback, even for the next few minutes. Just practice it. You know, i give us a few times, a few minutes to Go ahead and pray. Commune with your father. Uh, commune with the spirit of him. Praise God. You know, I think you can still continue praying under your breath. I find that it helps, but I just want to continue, you know. So he came to dwell in us. And one of the reasons was apart from helping us, was also to fulfill his own desire for fellowship. Amen. He wanted people that would commune with him without coercion. Amen. People that were freely Coming with him. And that's why the Holy Spirit will never force anyone to pray to him. Even though he's inside, it he may be there, dumb you're not hearing him, but you know, he wants you to choose fellowship with him. You know, another reason he came was that apart from um, being a proof of you know that restored communion, him coming into our hearts to dwell in our hearts, you know, is a foretaste of what is to come. Amen. It's like saying, this is like a deposit of what is to come. I'll come inside of you. You know, the, 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 the KJV has a word for it. It calls this earnest. So it says, you have everything. You are part of my family. All I have is yours. But as a proof, as a small deposit, I mean, the Holy Spirit is also, but just as a, a, a deposit, I'll come inside of you to, as proof. Amen. You know, so that proof, is actually one of the reasons we can call ourselves Christians. It's one of the proofs of our Christianity because it's a seal. The Bible calls it a seal. Let's open um, Second Corinthians chapter one from verse 21. I'll read the NLC, NLC version. It says, it is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and has identified us as his own by placing the spirit in our hearts as the first installment, that's the word the NLT is, the first installment, the deposit, that guarantees everything he has promised us. So as a Christian that is saved and reconciled to to God, you know, we've actually been sealed with the insignia of the Holy Spirit. It's a seal. And you know, it's, it's an ever, it's an ever present like proof that we're actually his. Praise the Lord. That I'm in business, you know, with everything I promise promising I've given you the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, so it's not optional. It is, it's what makes us Christians. So you can't say, oh, I don't have the Holy Spirit, I don't want it." No. If you don't have it, then you're just not a Christian. Amen. So it's an earnest, it's a deposit. Amen. You know, a lot of people <laughs> either do not know this, or do not, they do not act like they do. You know, because they do not mm-hmm. live like it. You know, let me ask a question. If God was in your inside, now I'm asking this way just, you know, just, you know, for emphasis. If God was on your inside, that same God who created everything, would you allow yourself to be depressed or intimidated? Amen. Would you allow yourself to be hopeless or full of complaint And full of complaints. Like if God was actually on your inside, would you live life very cowardly and fearful of life, fearful of tomorrow? Or will you be bold? Amen. Will you be courageous? Will you be always positive? Will you be a channel for healing? If God was truly really on your inside. side. So the question is, what kind of host are you? You know, we have billions of Christians today, but there are different kinds of hosts. You know, when a woman is pregnant, You know, maybe she's feeling nauseous or the baby's kicking or you know all those phases. She begins to, suddenly begins to watch what she eats. You know, she watches the kind of medication she's using because now she knows she's carrying someone now. She's not. she's just not on her own. So what she does with her body matters a lot because she's carrying someone. You know, and it's the same with us, what kind of hosts are we? You know, do we drag the Holy Spirit through, through the mess? You know, do we misuse our bodies, overeat, use drugs, gossip, slander, you know, sleep around? Or just, you know, just hobble, you know, just, you know, filthy things in our hearts, things like that. Or do we try to live responsibly just as a token of appreciation for what he has done? You know, as one honoring the one who has come to live inside of you. You know, it's something to think about. You know, what kind of hosts are we? Do we hardly speak to the one who has come to dwell on our inside? You know, do we, are we so busy, so, so closed, so filled with so much information that though he tries to talk to us, we can barely hear him? If God asks us to give 5,000 naira to someone down the street, are we sensitive enough to actually pick that? Amen. Or has his voice become deadened to, you know, to hear his voice? Don't forget that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, after he has spoken and spoken, if you just jettison him, just leave him, just put him to one side, his voice becomes, you know, he just knows that you are no, he's, not, no, he's not, no, no longer as important in your life. And he's grieved. But that's a mistake because he wants to help us. Amen. He's the helper. He's the advocate. We looked at this last week. He's the comforter on our inside. Why not take advantage? I think that's just smart. You know, this is a being that has all wisdom, all power. You know, this is actually a being that lives outside of time. The Bible says, you know, from the generations of old, I think that's in Micah 5.2. It says, it's going forth. is from everlasting to everlasting. He lives outside of time. He's omniscient, omnipresent, and this is someone who is volunteering to guide you. So this is a being that can scan the whole world and help you make the right decisions. Amen. You know, it happened with Apostle Paul in the book of uh, Acts. One time, he and his team were going to about their preaching mission, missions. You know, they were going to different places, and the Holy Spirit forbade them to go to Asia. He said, don't go to Asia now. Why were they able to pick that voice? It's because most likely they were sensitive enough to hear, they must have made it a habit to consistently incline their ears to his voice. So when he says don't go to Asia, they could pick it. It takes practice now. Why did the Holy Spirit ask them not to go to Asia? We don't really know because it wasn't specified, you know. Don't but don't forget that this is the Holy Spirit is omniscient, is omnipresent, so he probably scanned. Through the time and regions, and, and just they realize that there's trouble in that Asia. Maybe it should have led to their death. That's the kind of asset we have on our inside. The spirit is a sea of knowledge and wisdom. You know, if you stay long enough with, with Him, I promise, He can reveal to you the truth about so many things. About that spouse you're about to marry, that business partner, you know, that new venture you want to undertake, because He has all knowledge. You know, I've heard of some people that tried to go on some trips. Maybe they're trying, they were trying, trying to take a bus or a train. But just as they were about to book that trip, they just felt an uneasiness on their inside. They just could not do it. And then hours later, they heard that that bus had an accident. I'm sure you've heard of things that, oh, maybe it has not even happen to you yourself. You know, there was nothing on the outside. Everything seemed normal. But they had an inexplicable sense that something is wrong with this. And it's later that he knew why, because the Holy Spirit does not live in time.
1: He had scanned the time timelines and I said, "Don't go on this trip." Praise the Lord. He was revealing something.
0: You know that's why John said something in First John chapter two, verse twenty. He says, "But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things." Yes, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Doesn't mean you literally know all things, not necessarily. You know, I I, I don't know the favorite food of all of you on this platform listening to me. So, but when Jesus, John says, you know all things, what it means is that you have access to the one who knows all things. Praise the Lord. You know. So, I may not know your best food right now, but the Holy Spirit can open that up to me. You know, just open it up. I just say, ah, this is your best food. You know, maybe, you know, just to get me to to help me to get your attention. You can give me a window of illumination into some certain details. And that's what we call the word of knowledge. Praise the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is an asset. He has our best interests at heart. You know, maybe we don't realize it, but life is actually dangerous. You know, millions of untold potential dangers every day, millions of decisions that can lead to millions of outcomes. We need the Holy Spirit. We need direction. Praise the Lord. I remember when I was coming to this country, to the U.S. a few years ago, and now I I, I was getting a one one way ticket and I packed everything, it's like, Lord, we've left all to follow you, just like how the disciples said, like I kind of just, you know, my mental, arena was a bit changed. And when I got to the airport, I checked in and all that. I passed the gates. So I thought I even went to eat, you know, like my last supper in this, in this Lando, you know, before I start traveling. And then I just felt for my passport and this thing. I didn't see my passport again. And my list time was maybe 15 minutes to budge in, like when they would Now, this is at a time when, and I think it's the same now, when passports were very difficult to get. Like, people are waitlist for like a year, a year plus and all. I didn't find my passport, I didn't get my, find my boarding pass. So I was like, what? So I went to, I just started looking around. I didn't find it, And it's getting close to the time to board. <laughs> so I went to one of the, I went back to like the TSA, I met some, one guy there. I told him like, this is what's happening, I can't find my passport. I don't even know why I told him because I do not know what he was going to do. So I was like, oh, don't worry, if you can't find your boarding pass, just go back to your airline, they'll print another one for you. So I said, no, it's not just my body pass, it's my body pass, I uh, my passports. And the guy said, ah. Now, if you know Nigerians, whenever Nigerians says, ah, just know, <laughs> you know, it's over for you because it was like, ah, then it was just uh, I don't know what to do about that one. You know, so I just left him. And I just started, I just, mind I just started praying. I just smiled, I forced myself to smile. And I just started praying in tongues. Why did I do that? Because I knew that If there's anyone that can help in this kind of situation, this very, very funny situation, is God. If there's anyone that can make me actually make that flight in the next five, 10 minutes, even though I can't find any of this thing, is God. So I just started praying, and just walking back towards the the gates. You know, part of me was a bit confused, but I'm like, well, just pray, you know. And as I walked past um, one of the distance, I saw someone there. I don't know what made me ask that person, like, oh, have you, did you happen to see, I think I may have sat there before. Did you happen to see any passport here? It was an old, elderly, middle-aged woman. I said, yeah. Then she gave me this look of like, almost like disgust, like, you know, this is your passport. I saw it, she had kept it. I was like, yeah, I learned to keep it. I just took the passport and went, oh, you know. But that was, for me, the reason I, I did that was because I was trying to leverage on an advantage that we have. No, the Holy Spirit can do all things. So he can help me here. Amen. And that's the idea. Praise the Lord. He is God on your inside. He has your best interests at heart. You know, we need direction many times to make decisions. We don't just do things just randomly. We can listen to him first. You know, there's something I discovered, you know, is that we as human beings, we're not designed to actually function by ourselves. We overrate ourselves. We think we are smart. Oh, I figured this out, 10 year plan, five year plan. And I plan to do this and that. They're actually not that smart. You know, Jeremiah said something, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. At time is fast, but I'll close now. You know, I'll begin to pray. He says, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. Then he goes on, he says, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. The truth is that we were not created actually to direct our steps. You are not wise enough to chart your own course. You need help from God. Praise the Lord. You are not created to direct your steps. You are not. Praise the Lord. Now, how do you direct? get this direction? It's very simple. I will do that very soon. just fellowship with him. And as you do that, you'll become more sensitized to hear what he's saying. Because he's always talking. You begin to pick his voice more easily. Among the many voices. You know, as you begin to fellowship with him. You know, it happens in the book of Acts, in the early church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2. You know, the Bible says of the disciples, it says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said to them, Separate unto me, Saul and Barnabas you think if they were eating turkey and, and drinking beer and taking cocaine, do you think the Holy Spirit will have any? They'll be able to hear him? Of course not. And that's why we fast sometimes because it helps us to be more sensitive. Sometimes if you, if you fast for a long time, you see things, you see visions, you, see, you hear things. It's just not possible because you become more sensitive. It's just how it is. I know sometimes people try to over-spiritualize these things and make it look very ah, spooky. No, it's just a very basic thing. Amen. And as they minister to the Lord. Another um, transition of this verse as, as they fellowship, as they worship. You know, sometimes you can worship. You know, as I was praying for this uh, message yesterday, I was I was listening to, that. there's a song I like, um, Chris Delvan, You Are the Holy Ghost. That's why well, he was saying, how, how can you, um, how can you see if you don't know the way of the wind? You know, the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit is also called wind because it's Numa from the Greek. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about this in future sessions. Um, I mean, the Hebrew is Ruash um, because it's the wind, because of the way he moves across regions. And you know, he says, how can you fly if you don't know the way of the wind? You are limiting yourself. You know, so as, as they worshiped, as they ministered to the Lord, as they prayed, you know, it was a time of prayer, a time of dedication. And as the ministers to the Lord and fasted, he heard from the Lord. He says, separate unto me, So and Barnabas. Same thing happened, I'm sure, you know, with, with Philip in the book of Acts. You know, he was on his own and the Spirit told him, to attach himself to a certain chariot, Amen. You know, so we'll hear things when we be we, we give the Holy Spirit access. Now, who is a spiritual person? I'll just close quickly. I don't want to say. I don't like to take our time. A spiritual person is simply someone who has set his heart to be influenced by the Spirit. He's not someone whose trousers are in his belly button and who you know says grace to you and like that. no. I Remember one time in school back then in school there was this guy I don't know if uh, Lalo and Michael remember he came to the prayer meeting in face and this, he came from America then and this man was just giving word and word of knowledge and, ah like this doesn't look it but I, I like things like that maybe you have a big beard but you just give the word of knowledge and give the, you know that's, that's that's how we live that's that's who we are praise the Lord that's a spiritual person someone who is influenced now the Holy Spirit may influence him too. Have a different kind of um, appearance, but primarily is being led by the spirit, as opposed to a carnal person who is led by his five senses. Praise the Lord! You know that's why Romans chapter eight, verse four says, "For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh; but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit." So there's a way you can set your mind. It's like setting an alarm clock. So it's a direction. It's a posture. You know, it's like you're setting you're to catch those signals. You know, just let's take some time to pray for the next one or two minutes. Just fellowship with him, worship him, and try to listen, knowing that there is actually someone, you're not just doing random things, there is someone inside that is listening to you. Go ahead and pray. Oh. Oh, okay.
1: I didn't have we are most afraid to be parted. Oh, and if we should all of our hearts live for you. We're by you. We whatever to believe, not dull of him. My are is not dead. Let me should have been good time. the question be a